teaching confirmation for 30 years now, I always begin and we play this game called What If? And it's a book from youth ministries and we ask questions. What if? What if this? What if this? And the kids, there's 500 questions and the students pick out questions and they have to share and they pick a question for me and we share. So questions are like this. What if you won $10 million? One student said, if I won $10 million, I'd keep half and give half to Pastor Muse, so he got an A, all right? What if you could fly? What if you found out that you were adopted? What if your parents let you do anything you want? And the students have to take time and share what they do with that. So some of it becomes fun. What if you could be anyone in the world, and guess what most students say? They'd be either a famous athlete or a what? Movie star. Everyone wants to be popular, famous, and rich. We ask what if questions. It's a way to break the ice and get the kids to talk. But once in a while, we come up with questions like this. What if you found out that you had a terminal disease? What if your friends weren't really friends? Well, you know, confirmation eighth grade, and kids get to find out that sometimes in junior high, that some kids who pretend to be your friends aren't your friends at all. And they'll gossip and they'll backstab you. What if you could no longer walk? If you got in a car, you came down with the disease. What if your parents died? And some of those questions became rather sad. And what if the world got into a nuclear war? Remember, this book was written 25 years ago. We all had to ponder. Now, for us sitting here today, we know that beyond eighth grade, that for some of us, those questions aren't a what if, but some of those we had to what? Deal with our own lives. Not being able to walk, hearing of someone who had a terminal disease, Losing dear friends who've done unkind things to us. We've experienced that. A number of years ago, so the question is, what if you heard that suffering is not an if, but a what? Well, as younger people said, if I die. But the older I get, we don't ask the question, if I die, but what? So the question of suffering is never an if, but it's always a when. A number of years ago, I took my family to Walt Disney World, and I was with my daughters when they were in the sixth grade and like the third grade, and I was sitting in the middle, I had my arms around them, and we went through Peter Pan's flight. Rather delightful ride and rather delightful story, and I remember getting off the ride. They opened up the gate to let us out, and I turned around, there I saw a young man, scruffy hair, half bald, smiling, and the pigmentation of his skin was a little bit off. There must have been something wrong. Then I looked at his t-shirt, it was aqua in color, it said, Make-A-Wish Foundation. And there was an older person sitting with that person, helping him out of the ride as well. Usually when someone's at Walt Disney World wearing a Make-A-Wish Foundation shirt, it's not what? Good. Even in the confines of the happiest place on earth, there is yet what? Not if, but what? When? I could only imagine. Being somewhat of a history buff, um, I enjoy Civil War history. The first major battle in the Civil War was Bull Run, or to the north, Manassas. And Warren McLean, he was a bachelor who struck it rich. He married a very rich widow, and he moved to Bull Run. And there, the first major battle of the Civil War took place. Both Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis believed that whoever won this first major battle, their nation would win the war, but that wasn't the case. And so his house and his horse carriage, a facility got shot up, and he said, I'm done with this war. I want nothing more to do with this war. And he moved 125 miles southwest to a place called Appomattox Courthouse. Now, some of you are laughing. You know why? 
because four years later, when Grant surrounded the tattered army of Robert E. Lee enforcement surrender, they surrendered where? There's a picture of Appomattox Courthouse in his front parlor. Now, this time his house didn't get shot up. But soldiers and officers from both sides came in and took many of his belongings because they'd make nice souvenirs. Guess what? This is from the house where the Civil War ended. He knew all about suffering. He said this. The war began in my front yard and ended where? He understood suffering. It wasn't an if, but it was a when proposal. So the text today that Mr. McGee read to you from 1 Peter is just not for the anxious, persecuted, and humbled, because I know there are many sitting here today that would define that. But it's also for the self-reliant, confident, and accomplished. I know that there's some sitting here today who feel that way about themselves. Because sooner or later, it's not if, but what? Suffering will come your way. Jesus said this to us believers. If anyone come after me, let them deny themselves and pick up their what? Pick up my cross. No, thank you. I want every day to be a Friday and I can have my best day today. At least that's what false preachers tell us. But Jesus says, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you will pick up your cross. It's never a question of if, but when. So read this with me. Because we Christians will suffer. Not because we've done something wrong or God's punishing us or God's getting back at us. But that is our carrying the cross. Suffering becomes to believers, since in suffering we become more Christ-like. We become more Christ-like in suffering. It'd be odd for me in our new electric sign there. It'd be odd but very faithful. It'd be probably even more accurate to be scriptural and faithful. To place on a church sign, come suffer with us. Because Jesus does say, if anyone comes after me, let them deny themselves and pick up their what? Because we Christians, we will suffer. We'll suffer for all sorts of reasons, for all sorts of occasions, for all sorts of purposes. But for us believers, we draw closer to God. So there's a woman who suffered with bleeding for 12 years. Medical advancement could do nothing for her, and she suffered with this pain. Spending all her money, she was somewhat wealthy, realizing there wasn't a doctor that could treat her, But then she heard of someone walking around. She heard of someone who did great miracles, who changed water into wine, who could walk on water, who made those who couldn't walk, walk, who made blind people see. And in her mind, she said, if I could only touch him. Let me go ahead and read this for you. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and her bleeding stopped. Then Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. You see, in her suffering, she could no longer rely on herself or her money. She was no longer accomplished, but she was a person in need. And she looked to Jesus. It just wasn't that she touched Jesus. She also fell in front of him. Lord, Savior, and Master, you give me anything. In her suffering, she came closer to Christ and who Christ is. Dr. Myron Luther, the great reformer to which our church is based upon his teaching says this whoever does not know God in suffering does not know God in all because in our suffering we come to know who God really is patient loving faithful enduring truthful we do not have a cotton candy God and we do not have an ice cream cone savior our Lord understands suffering for those who don't know God in suffering really do not know the true God at all why because God suffered and suffers 
He mourns for our idolatry, hatred, discord, and sin. And Jesus suffered all in humility to die for all. So hence, what is the symbol of our Christian faith? The what? The cross is an object of suffering. To the Romans, it's a torture device. But to the world and to us, it is a symbol of our Lord who suffered to give us life and eternal life. Suffering brings us closer to Christ. There's a hymn that we sing once in a while, and should we take those hymns into our heart to which they were intended to be written? It says, let us ever walk with Jesus. And to a lot of people, it's very pleasant. Yeah, let's walk with Jesus in the valleys of beautiful mountains and long streams of fresh flowing water. It's all very romantic and nice. It's nice to walk with Jesus. He's our good shepherd. And we think of pictures of sheep and shepherds. But then the second stanza says this, let us suffer here with Jesus and with patience bear our cross. Because in our suffering, we become more like Christ and we understand who Christ is, what Christ has done for us. Suffering also comes to those who confess Christ as true Lord and living God and the destroyer of gods as believers make that confession against the pagan culture. Let me take you back to the days of Jesus. In the days of Jesus, Paul and Silas were imprisoned. Now, what were they imprisoned for? Well, Paul and Silas came across a young lady who could predict the future. Now, every time I go down Clinton Street, when I pass Arps Dairy, or I'm coming back from like Walmart and some shopping places, uh, there's a psychic there, half off Tuesdays. And she apparently is a fortune teller. However, I seriously doubt that because if she could really tell the fortune, she really tell the future, I would like to ask her for the next set of Powerball numbers. When the numbers get up to one billion, if she could predict the future, I'd like to know that. But so far, she can't. Now, this isn't like the movie Back to the Future where Biff gets all the scores for the next half century, becomes a multi-trillionaire. Remember that? Someone gave him a book with all the scores, a sports contest. Because if she could do that, I'd like to know. I'd go and talk to her, and I'd make a lot of money. But she really can't. That's sort of the same reason why faith healers don't hang out at hospitals, okay? Because they really can't heal people. However, this young lady could tell the future, and she made people, he, she made her owners a lot of money in the gambling business. And when Paul and Silas saw her, that she had an evil demon, Paul and Silas said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her, and she did. And guess what the owners didn't make? Any money, and how'd that make them feel? really mad. Friends in Christ, you want to make somebody really mad? You can insult their spouse. You can insult their dog. You can insult their sports teams. If you want to make somebody really mad, hit their pocketbook. Guaranteed. Just ask Jesus when he tipped over the tables and all those people lost money. Make somebody mad, hit their pocketbook. So Paul and Silas were imprisoned because of that. He lost money. In Jesus' day, lots of money was made by selling and preserving idols. And Jesus said, throw those away because they're what? Just like the person who predicted the future. No one's making money. In Jesus' day, Romans considered Christian atheists. Well, what's an atheist? A person who doesn't believe in who? Yeah, Romans considered Christians atheists because we didn't believe in all their gods. We only believed in how many gods? It's the same thing we confess in the liturgy we sung, and the same things we will confess in the Nicene Creed. In Jesus' day... Romans considered Christians rebels who did not worship Caesar as God. Under Emperor Clorox, yes, you heard that correct, Clorox, because we always think of cleaning supplies and bleach. Emperor Clorox, it's true, he had white hair, he was totally white. 
He made a bust of himself and he went door to door and made people worship him. And if they didn't worship him, they were persecuted. So you could see that Christians in the early church suffered for what they believed. So let's go to today. And today, Christians who confess Christ the Lord are now considered elitist and narrow-minded. Well, not only one religion is correct. How can you say your God's the only God? Be mocked. Narrow-minded, elitist. Today, those who hold the truth of the Ten Commandments are considered outdated. Some people call you a hater or a bigot. What do you mean, honor your father and mother and do not steal and do not commit adultery? Today, there's persecution for that. Today, Christians who don't hold to atheist evolution are considered fools. If you do not believe that we evolved from pine pond scum all the way through um, apes to humans, then you're like a flat earther. You don't believe in science. You believe in witchcraft. You believe in voodoo dolls. Christians today also will suffer for what they believe, much like they did in those days. However, for all who suffer, can we read this? So what, what if are you suffering now? Do you feel comfortable to share? What, what if are you suffering now? What are you going through now? So, those, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do what? Good. Friends in Christ, I've done many funerals. Most of my funerals are people who are seniors, who are much older my previous congregation, I did a funeral of a teenager. The teenager died in a terrific accident. Being a young pastor, that also shook me up. I was called to the ER room when minutes were being used by a number of doctors to try to save the young person's life, and it didn't work out. And I was there when the doctor came in the room. It was also, as a younger pastor, somewhat concerning to me. So I knew the pain the family was going through. There's a difference between doing a funeral of someone who's 92, who some people see as a blessing, that they're most struggling with life, struggling with life, than a teenager whose life was ended abruptly, who can't live the rest of their life. I remember going to the funeral home when the family was first able to see their teenager's body. That can also be quite a painful experience. And I was wondering and praying to God what would be the appropriate and kind and warm and, and the godly thing to say. When I came into the funeral home, the father met me before I could open my mouth. He said, how are you doing, Pastor? How's your family doing? How are you doing today? He heard my mother was ill. He said, how's your mother doing? You know, I've been praying for you. I was to come to minister, but he came to minister to me. So hence these words. If you're suffering, commit yourself to the Creator and continue to do what? Good. Continue to do good. That was a powerful message to me. The Greek word for empathy is suffering. Why? Because we can take another person's position, we suffer with them, we show them empathy. Not everybody can be empathetic towards someone. Some people are just way too selfish to be empathetic toward anyone. They can only think of themselves. But for us believers, we can take time to care for someone else. To be empathetic is to suffer, to see what they're going through, and to care for them with them. Put yourself, when we suffer, in our Creator's hands and continue to do what? 
good because that's the Holy Spirit working through us. So how about this for a closing thought? Can you all read it with me? And all God's people say...